Hello and welcome to Filled with His Love. So the other day, Oprah did an interview with Peter Atia. He's a longevity expert, spent most of his life studying longevity and how we can Im- increase the years we live on this earth. So we've talked before about lifespan versus health span. Lifespan is how long you live. Health span is how well you live. Medical science has extended our lives largely by helping us overcome infectious diseases. Think of the very old days of bubonic plague or smallpox. As these highly infectious diseases have been conquered, people tend to live longer, of course. This is a gross oversimplification, but the principle is solid. Vaccines helped in the recent pandemic. Millions died, but millions more would have died without the vaccines. So we're living longer than our ancestors who were born in the 1700s. For example, life expectancy in the U.S. for those born in the 1700s was about 35. That's right. Think of it. 35 was life expectancy. That's average. That means that a significant number of people died in their 20s and an equal number of people died in their 50s. But the average was 35. We must admit 35 is not a very long life. And not much has changed until the 1900s. Those born in the 1800s generally had short lives. Just look at your ancestors and on family search. But in the 1900s, people were living a bit longer. They went past 40 for average. Why? Infectious diseases began to decline. At the, uh, our, our ability to cure those infectious diseases or avoid them began to decline uh, in, in those early years of 1900s. We be- began chlorinating drinking water. That killed off a lot of waterborne illness like typhoid and cholera and dysentery. Okay, so that's what I was talking about. The, the infectious disease dilemma was being somewhat controlled beginning in the 1900s. Those born in 1950 were likely to live to the age of 60. And those born in the year 2000 are likely to live well beyond 70 into the 80s. So the numbers look good, but they can be deceiving in some ways. Longevity has doubled from 35 to 70 plus, but many of those who live into their 80s or 90s are not living very satisfying lives. For example, one in 10 older Americans has dementia. Mm, This is not a pretty thing. Those are not looking so good. Things are not looking so good with memory loss. Living longer but not suffering in some way. Listen to this. 35% of people over 70 are mobility impaired. That means they need a cane or a walker or a wheelchair to get around. And the majority of those over 85 are similarly mobility impaired. Now that's a lot. So all, all these people, they're living to be 85 or 90, but they can't move. They can't walk very well. They can't get around. So it's really not a pretty scene. We're alive in these later years, but not very healthy. So long lifespan, but short health span. Researchers also estimate that one in five older Americans over age 60 have some type of emotional disorder. Could be depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. So in this interview that Peter Atia had with Oprah, this longevity expert who has spent his basically his whole professional life researching the factors that can help us extend our health span, summarized his research as follows. The three pillars of health span 
are cognitive function, which includes memory and executive function, physical ability, and emotional health, which includes the strength of people's relationships. While the mechanisms behind cognitive and physical decline are not as much in our control, emotional health doesn't have to decline with age, Atia said. Ways to boost it include reducing stress, feeling gratitude, and maintaining strong relationships throughout middle age and into the senior years. Loneliness is a strong marker of poor physical and mental health, as well as early mortality. Okay, so let's take a closer look at what Atia is saying. The first of the three pillars he mentions is cognitive function, which includes memory and executive function. Memory, of course, is how well we can recall things. I have watched dementia creep up on people, and it is not fun to watch or experience. I was once a home teacher for a very wonderful couple in their 80s, and one day the husband went into the garage, got in his car, pulled out his key, and did not know what to do with the key. He came right back in the house and he said, Honey, I, I, I shouldn't be driving. I got the key out of my pocket and I didn't know what to do with it. My own mother suffered from dementia. It began slowly. I remember one day she couldn't remember where she parked in a large mall parking lot, and she had to have an attendant drive her around to find her car. It took over an hour for her to find it. We've all had a hard time remembering where we parked, but she was beginning to have extreme problems with short-term memory, and things gradually got far worse. So everyone would like to avoid memory loss if possible. Atia also mentions, quote, executive function, quote, this is the part of our brain, that the frontal cortex, the frontal lobes, that helps us make decisions and direct our life. Executive function allows us to make our own meals, to clean our own home, to care for ourselves. When executive function declines, people seek help, often in assisted living centers. Now, the next pillar, Atia cites, is physical ability. This includes walking, lifting groceries, doing yard work, climbing stairs, etc. Life in these mortal bodies requires a lot of movement, and when our ability to simple to do simple everyday tasks declines, so does our quality of life. The next pillar is emotional health, which Atya says includes the strength of our relationships. Some might ask why I am even talking about longevity on a podcast that focuses on relationships. Here's the answer. Relationships are the most powerful determinant of our overall satisfaction with life. Poor relationships or no relationships lead to a poor quality of life. We are social beings after all. If we remove the social from our life or have nothing but toxic social interactions, our life seems not worth living. So Atia's interview then focused on a lot on how we can make our relationships more healthy and fulfilling. And I would like to add something to the discussion. Emotional health has a lot to do with our spiritual well-being. As I've said before, if we want our human relationships to improve, let's first strengthen our attachment to God. If we are spiritually healthy, and that means being full of faith, hope, and love, then our overall health is clearly going to improve. And the converse is also true. If we ignore our attachment to God, our capacity for faith, hope, and love decrease, and the quality of our overall life suffers.
So what is the answer? How can we increase our health span? The answers are not too complex, and you don't really need to be a longevity researcher to figure it out. We need to keep ourselves in good physical condition first. That means exercise, both strength and aerobic. And we need to get good nutrition and avoid overnutrition. The one factor that negatively affects all of the three pillars is, you guessed it, obesity. Poor metabolic health correlates with the risk of all the diseases we want to avoid. Cognitive impairment, physical decline, and emotional illness. Exercise and diet affect all three. And there's really no point in arguing a lot over what precise foods to put in our mouth. It is common knowledge now that Americans need more plant foods in their diet. But the real problem in America is that we just eat too much. One study showed that from age 20 to age 50, people increased their weight by an average of 25%. That translates to, so, so say a person is 5'6 and weighs 150 pounds at age 20, that same person is going to weigh 188 on average. That means a lot of people are going to weigh 220 or whatever. Those extra pounds do not do us any good, especially when they are paired with a sedentary lifestyle. Looking at body mass index, that means that age 20, the 5'6 tall person is in a normal BMI. And by age 50, the person is in the obese range. I know that no one likes to talk about weight. And I know that when we're overweight, we have a tendency to shame ourselves, which is the worst thing we can do. I have struggled to stay at a normal weight most of my life. In fact, right now, I'm trying to shed the pounds I added during the pandemic. And it's not easy. I recognize that. I gained a half pound this morning after yesterday, uh, even though I ate less and exercised more. So patience is the key. But after looking at all the data on health, I'm very convinced that staying at a healthy weight is one of the main keys. Now, I know that some listeners might have a hard time maintaining a healthy weight because they weigh too little and they're on the lower side of the BMI range, and that's obviously understandable. But And so we do what we can, basically. We try to stay at as healthy a weight as we can. But here's my strong belief. The promise of the Word of Wisdom is real. If we avoid ingesting damaging things and focus on healthy eating and exercise, then we will literally be able to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. It's a divine promise. And so even though aging brings with it higher risk for disease and decline, I feel a constant need to do the best I can to reduce those risks and take care of this physical body, it's the only physical body I'm going to have in mortality, <laughs> to take care of it the best I can. So I hope this is helpful to you, and hope you'll make a comment or share it with someone if you think it might be helpful to them. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.